reality of God and know without a shadow of a doubt that He dwells within us. A lot of people don't have that privilege. A lot of people still confused about a lot about who God is and what He is. And I think would give anything, as one lady told me after we'd ministered at the Baptist church, we need what you're talking about. Hallelujah. And they recognize that. And, and uh, just, well, they just need God in His fullness and understanding of Him. We have been attempting over the last several Wednesday nights, two or three, to just kind of reestablish us in the Bible. These are not real in-depth things at all, but it is just simply more on my mind that we need as a church and as individuals to get reacquainted with the Bible. And uh, we have struggled in every way that I know to make it real simple and plain and just acquaint us with things perhaps we've already known or have known for a long time and maybe just taken for granted. So I, in fact, the business is what I would hope to do out of this is get us into the Bible more. Now, whether I'm going to be successful or not is all dependent on you, all right, on, on to your condition or your desires, because I have a feeling that we're going to need that Bible in our hearts. I have a feeling that we're going to be, we're going to have to know it. I don't know particularly that Bibles are going to be taken away from us, but there's times when we need to know it so we'll have a quick answer. So we won't have to go look up a scripture and see what the Bible says about incidents that happen in our lives or somebody else's life. The Bible tells us to have a ready answer for all things. And so we have talked about what the Bible says about God's world and went over that with things people already knew about, the origin of the world, which was not by evolution and certainly wasn't by the Big Bang Theory, and about God creating it in an orderly process. He didn't just sling it out there in any way. He's always been an orderly God, and He created His world orderly. And also God's laws of nature and what this means to us. We've covered that. And then what the Bible says about God more than anything else. God's Word talks about God. Man knows that there is a higher being and the only book in this world that is trustworthy is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Now what does the Bible say about God and His attributes? It says there's just one God. There's the one God in three manifestations. We all knew that. God is a spirit and He's a personality existing in Jesus Christ. God is eternal. God is present everywhere. God is all-wise. God is almighty. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is faithful. God is merciful. God is gracious. Now, all of these things we're supposed to know. Amen. It should not be something that we don't know. But do we actually realize all of these attributes in God? And God is love. And last week Wednesday before last what the Bible said about the origin of man. God created man from the dust of the earth and he breathed his breath into him and man became a living soul. Man was created in the image of God for a reason. So man would know, so man could feel, so man could will. And God looked at Adam and saw that he needed to help meet 
We explained to you what they said about help meet. That's someone precisely adopted to a particular situation, to a particular need or circumstance. And God created man, and man was the crown of his creation. Man for a while lived in close relationship with God. Also what the Bible says about God's goodness to sinners. God is our provider. All we have, everything we've had, ever will have is a gift from God. And we learned this one thing. God's greatest concern is us. Amen. His greatest care in this whole messy world is His people. He is concerned about us. Concerned about us to leave enough laws for us to follow, to avoid a lot of snares and pitfalls that we undergo. Concerned enough about us to have prayed for us, Jesus did, before He went, to, went into the heavens. He prayed for us. And uh, if we have any confidence in His prayer at all, then we have to realize if He prayed for us, His prayer meant something, and we start believing in that prayer. And He thought about enough about us to die for us and to raise again. And now we're going to study just a little bit about what the Bible says about sin and about its consequences. It's almost an ugly word. People avoid it if they can at all. And you hardly ever hear it outside of church. In some churches you don't hear it inside. That's right. Because as far as they're concerned, there's no uh, black and white. It's all a gray area. It just all depends on what you feel like. And there's no sin. It's just something that happens to be in your life. But what does the Bible say about sin? And what does the Bible say about the consequences of sin? I wish somewhere, somehow, that we could really get it inside our spirit. Everybody that sits under the Word of God that there is consequences of sin. I mean, you can't get by with sin. It's going to have a payday one of these times. Even after we have known God, what we do to our bodies still follow after us. We've learned what the Bible says about the origin of man, that God created man to live in close relationship with him. And to make this possible, God created him in his own image. Man was created holy, and man's will was in accord to God's will. You see, at that time, whatever God's will was, man's will was programmed for that. And God provided all of man's needs and all of his pleasures. Amen. But he said only one limitation. You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now what was God doing? He was testing man's loyalty and trust in him. Now that was not just a one-time thing. God still tests our loyalty and trust in Him. By placing adversity before us, by placing snares and hindrances before us, to see just how much we trust Him and how loyal we are to Him. As sad as it might seem, Satan, the arch enemy of God, came along and did not want to see the crown of God's creation Enjoying things and being happy. Well, he hasn't changed yet today. I mean, if we find some happiness any place, Satan is sure to come along and try to destroy that or disturb it. And he has 
No limitations really as far as this world is concerned. He's the prince of the powers of the air as of right now. But the only peace, enjoyment, and happiness God's people have, and he has made that so no man can take that away from us, is the peace and presence of Almighty God. When we need some enjoyment in this world, God, if we could learn that, if Christians especially could learn that, we run to and fro hither and yon to find pleasure and enjoyment, and we run away from the very thing that would give it to us. That's in Bible study, prayer, in the house of God. And we learn our lessons too late sometimes. But Satan didn't want to see God's people happy, and so he comes along to Eve, and this is an old story, and he says this to Eve. Did God say, you shall not eat of any tree? That's supposed to be the other translation, but in our King James it says, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. But you give Eve credit for one thing. She remembered God's commandment. Her answer was, We may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. Eve says these words, they're in addition, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so, seeing that he could not win Eve that way, Satan, as he always does yet, changed his tactics. I mean, if we rebuff him in one direction, he'll be back. Amen? He'll be back with another tactic. And if we rebuff him in that, he's going to be back with another one. But he changed his tactic, and he tried to plant doubt and distrust in Eve's heart. That's a major that's worked for centuries. And it's still working today. Very well. Just get people not to trust God. Get people to doubt God's commandments. Get people to think that it really doesn't matter whether we are obedient to all of God's commandments or not. It really doesn't matter whether we live our life just the way it ought to be lived or not. You see, that is doubting God. That is just simply saying, God, you wasted your time and moving upon the apostles and prophets to fill this book with laws that we ought to follow. You wasted your time, God. And we doubt Him, and there's distrust in our heart as there was Eve's, and He says, you will not die. Now, have you ever had the devil to come and say, it's all right, you can do that. That doesn't matter. It's not going to hurt anything. Look around you, everybody else does it. And so we want to be sure that we keep up with the Joneses. But said, you're not going to die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you're going to be just like God, and you're not going to know good and evil. And Satan succeeded with this lie. He believed him instead of God. She thought by eating the forbidden fruit she'd gained the knowledge that God had and only God possessed. And so she ate it and she gave it to Adam and he ate it also. And sin is a revolt against God. Doesn't make any difference whether we term it a little sin or a big sin. It is a revolt against God. Can I drive that home to us tonight? Sin is a revolt against God. Desiring to be equal with God. Transgressing God's commandments. Adam and Eve gave evidence of their mistrust of God's faithfulness and also of God's goodness. This was a revolt of man's will against the will of God. 
This was a revolt to the creature against the Creator. This was a revolt to man's selfish desires against God's unselfish love. And that is implanted in the Adamic nature. What Eve tried to do and Adam tried to do, a revolt against uh, the will of God by man's own will, a revolt against the creature against the Creator, and our selfish desires against God's unselfish love. And that is in the Adamic nature. It follows us. We're born with that. And it is always there, ready to bring us down if we will allow it. I'm saying again, the only escape is in the divine love of God, the power of His Spirit, and in His Word and in His law. There's different sins. We're aware of that. But yet in the final analysis, every sin, regardless of little or big, is a revolt against God's will. Whether it's in thought, whether it's in word, whether it's in deed, whether it's done voluntarily or uh, involuntary, it's still a revolt against God. Rebellion against God is the very essence of sin. This is where it begins when we rebel against God. And this rebellion always stems from the pride of man and his self-glory. I want to give you some scriptures if you care to write them down to check that out. And that's good reading, saints. It really is. It's good reading. Romans 8, 7. Matthew 15, 19. 1 John 3 and 4. James 1, 15. Colossians 1, 21. Like I said, that's good reading. It brings it home the way it is. And it'll challenge us. It'll raise up out from the pages of that book. If we will allow it, and it will challenge us. It will challenge us in our lethargy, in our uh, pride, and in our self-glory. Now, when sin came, and it still is, it gave Eve and Adam a guilty conscience. (laughs) Sin still does that. So you know what they did? We'll get to that in a minute. Every sin brings its own punishment. Every sin brings its own punishment. Adam and Eve knew at once, just like that, that they had done wrong. If we would listen to that inside of us when we sin and know that we've done wrong, then we won't continue on until our conscience is seared with a hot iron. They knew immediately. And you know what they tried to do? They tried to hide from God. So you see, it still works today. When people sin and do things they're not supposed to do, what do you reckon they do? They try to hide from God. They try to get away from Him. They try to get away from God's people. They try to get away from the house of God. They don't want to be intertwined with that because they're trying to hide from God. Instead of recognizing, like we all ought to, okay, I've fallen short, I've sinned, I need remission of those sins, and run to God and not run away from Him. There's old Adam nature. Conscience condemned them. And when they used to look forward, and friend, there's a lesson in that. When they used to look forward to the fellowship of God, now they're hiding from Him. Now they don't want anything to remind them of Him. That was what Adam and Eve did. That's what humanity is still doing. Because when we sin and our conscience tells us we are, tells us we do, it'll get us out of the Word of God. 
It'll take us off of our knees because the minute we get there, condemnation comes. And the minute we get in the book, it is streaming out at us of our sin and bringing it to our face. And if we're not careful, it'll take us out of the house of God. Amen, Brother Oatclough. And it's still doing that. And a lot of times we don't realize what is happening to us. Because we are so proud that we don't want to admit that we would ever have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, it's something in man that wants to make him think that he is always right. And the Bible, when we get in it, tells us we're not. And on our prayer bones, sweets and cries out, you're not. Condemnation raises up when we're there. And so we don't want to be condemned. And we don't want, uh, we don't want our conscience troubled. And so we'll just try to avoid God. Okay, when God revealed His knowledge of their transgressions, it's payday now. Somebody's going to have to answer for this. You've transgressed my laws. Remember when God sought for Adam and Eve? said, Adam, where are you? He shouldn't have had, never had to do that before. Always Adam and Eve was there to walk in the cool of the day with God. And everything was right with him. Never did God ever have to, although he knew... He said, Adam, where are you? Always. Adam and Eve was there. Have fellowship with God and walk in the cool of the day with God. But this time, this day, after this time of disobedience, they were not there. They were trying to hide. And God comes seeking. I like that about God. He just comes and seeking. And He said, Adam, where are you? Where are you? And finally, recognizing the need... What made this transgression? What happened here anyway? And Adam tries to blame Eve. And then he tries to blame God. He said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat. And I ate of it and Eve turns around and blames the serpent. It's still the same thing today. I mean, uh, all of these uh, uh, psychologists and psychiatrists will tell us that it's not our fault. I mean, where does that come from? comes from the devil. Come from sin that, that came and become inbred there, inside of them. Uh, they had to make an excuse. They couldn't just look up and say, I was tricked by the enemy. I failed. But instead, Adam says, Eve gave me that apple, whatever it was. Eve gave that to me, and Adam blamed God, Eve blamed the serpent, and all of that. But sin separated man from God. And might I add this, sin still separates man from God. Sometimes if there's a distance between us and God, maybe we ought to find out what's in between. Just a suggestion, okay? The fact that Adam and Eve tried to hide from God, sought to avoid Him, showed that their close relationship with God had already been broken by the transgression of His commandment. Amen. God did not really have to pronounce judgment, although He did. It already showed that. The prophet Isaiah says, 
Still yet, and we'll give you the scripture in a minute, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. Isaiah 59 and 2. You see, the judgment of God that he gave was just a public proclamation about them having broken fellowship and relationship with him. They was created to live eternally. I want you to look back at that, created to live forever. And now then, they were shut off from the prospect of life. And they were now shut away from the tree of life. And man was to face that awful prospect of slavery and finally death. No part of man could live without facing the prospect of death after they fell. Man had forfeited his privilege to have immortality. And Adam and Eve did this and all this came down even to us. And this will come along later, I'm sure. But God remedied that for us. God took care of that for us. We now have a chance that when He comes to put on immortality, He said, mortality will put on immortality. But a lot of people are forfeiting their right for a few pleasures in this life, for a few selfish reasons. A pleasure-mad world is running headlong into the pits of hell where immortality is taken from them. Their doom and misery is all in the pits of hell. Man then became a slave of sin. Adam and Eve were then slaves of sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. John says that in 834. And sin is a cruel master. How many of us can understand and look back and realize when that was our master of all the misery and pain and what it was taking in and what it was doing for us. And yet some reason, I don't know why, somebody asked me about that. And I said, I don't have the answer to that. I cannot tell you why people come and experience the glorious power of God's presence and His Spirit. Enjoy and speak in a heavenly language and be lifted up almost into the third heaven and rejoice in these things and then turn again to the beggarly elements of the world. How can they do that? And I don't know. Because my life stands before me too much. I knew where I was headed before I found God. And I knew where I would be right now if I didn't have God. So I don't know how they can do that. Other than this one thing. Everything that was black and dark at that time. And God created within them something good. Then Satan comes along and everything that was black and dark becomes glitter again. And the things they used to despise and it was dragging him down. They begin to see and look at, and it wasn't so bad after all. That's sin. That's the slave of sin. You see, he does all he can, Satan does, to keep all of God's people. I'm going to say again, man is the crown of God's creation. 
And he does everything he can to entice us and get us into the bondage which is fatal to him. He and his angels are constantly in search of men to enslave and keep enslaved. Always going about. We're never safe, saints. We are not safe at any time, any place. Always something happening. Always looking. Peeping inside of the soul of man. Trying to find an opening. To bring him into slavery and bondage. John 8, 44 talks about that. 1 Peter 5, 8 talks about that. Matthew 4 and 1 talks about that. Sin came and sin made life burdensome. No wonder Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He watched us when we came burdened down with the yoke of the enemy and he saw us. And he watched us as we transferred that yoke to his he saw the likeness of it all. You see, Adam and Eve's life changed in another way. In the garden where they was at, of Eden they lived a blessed, carefree life. For God had made all things good. You imagine trading that garden to be enslaved with death? And it's easy to get on old Adam and Eve and say, man, you ought not to ever done that. But yet if we look around, we're enticed to do the same thing. Almost every day, something comes up. And if we're not careful, we're enticed to trade all the blessedness of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the joys that God has given us in the past and still gives us. Tempted for a moment and maybe longer to trade all of that just for one taste of something that is forbidden in our life. All of that they traded for the burdensome things of sin. As a result, life became burdensome. Punishing God cursed the ground, you know that. Man now had to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow through hard work. And nature often seemed to oppose man and it still does. Sometimes man's best efforts is frustrated by a natural catastrophe. But this wasn't the case before the fall. But now because of man's sin, nothing remains perfect in this world. I want us to understand that nothing remain perfect in this world. Nothing will ever be perfect in this world until Jesus comes. The only perfection there is in this world is God Almighty Himself that lives within us. That's the only perfection there is. And God is trying to perfect us and make us walk like He walks and talk like He talks. And sin brought death to man. That's the final result a man's transgression. God had warned it. In the day that ye eat of it, ye shall die. Genesis 2.17 Satan said you won't. God's word against Satan's. And we still face that, saints. We still face that. He comes daily sometimes, uh, sometimes cowardly with his word against God's word. Trying us. 
belittling us, running us down because this and that or something else is happening in our life and trying to get us to turn from God. Trying to get us to listen to what He has to say. But God did not speak idly. That's what I like about God. This, these were not idle words. God did not just write to fill a chapter or to fill a book. Everything in this Bible is pertinent to us. The Old Testament sometimes has examples. New Testament is ways added to the Old Testament, ways of life. We need to understand that when God speaks through us in this Bible or through the mouth of His ministers, He is not speaking idly. He is not speaking just to feel time or to have church. God has something to say to us and we need ears to hear and heart to open to understand and a soul that cries to say, God, tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. Tell me where I'm wrong, Lord. God said in this, in the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of you were taken your dust, and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3.19 Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. Romans 5 and 12 The soul that sins shall die. It's found in Ezekiel 18 and 4. So what's death? What is death? Death is a condition where all life processes cease. This includes the consciousness as well as his physical processes. Since man is in the entire being, he's a living soul. The breath of life that comes from God and gives us life returns to God who gave it. When thou hidest thy face, they are dismayed. When thou takest away their breath, they die. And return to their dust. When thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created. And thou renewest the face of the ground. Psalmist David writes that in Psalms 104, 29, and 30. And the dust returned to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12 and 7. Death is a condition of unconsciousness until the resurrection. That's going to cross, cross, cross the theology of a lot of people that find people in heaven and find people in hell already. But your Bible will not back that up. We're a spirit of unconsciousness and will be that way until the resurrection. The Bible talks about it as a sleep, especially to the Christian. Paul says we don't sleep as others who have no hope. You see, the psalmist David says again, For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. He was actually telling us that we're there. We're unconscious about everything that's going on. We are, in a sense, as some say, sneeringly soul-sleeping. But we're waiting the morning of the resurrection. It's just like when you go to bed at night and you have a real good rest and you wake up that morning and it seems like you just got to sleep. Saints of God that's been in the grave for ages and ages 
will awake in the refreshing power and presence of God and will seem as if they just went to sleep. Awake in the presence of God. To a saint of God, death is not the worst thing that can happen. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Psalms 13, 3. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. 1 Kings 2.10 At the grave of Lazarus, Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. Then he said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But in the midst of all of this, everything that's happening in the pronouncement of what's happening and coming upon the world, and uh, sin brought death, and death, of course, brings destruction, death brings misery and woe. But in the midst of all of this, in pronouncing sentence on Adam and Eve, God also revealed in there His saving, redemption plan. Yes. We've studied about the holiness of God as being one of God's characteristics, because God is holy and righteous, he cannot compromise with sin. He can't do it. God's holiness demands that the law be kept perfectly. God's justice and righteousness also demand that everybody that breaks the law has to pay the penalty. But God is merciful and God is gracious. Can you lift your hands and say, Thank God for your mercy and for your grace. Hallelujah. And with it all, God provides a way for man to overcome sin and its consequences without compromising his holiness and his righteousness. Hallelujah. He provides, and this is what he says, Satan, you're not going to get by with this. And he pronounces a future judgment on Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Of course, the seed of the woman was Jesus Christ, who was going to come and free man from slavery of sin and of Satan. And that freedom is offered to everybody that will. Most of us here have encountered the freedom. We have known what it is. And might I say tonight, don't trade that freedom for anything else in this world. Keep it, hold it dear to your spirit and hold it dear to your heart and understand that God paid a great price for this. Centuries later, after that pronouncement of judgment upon Satan, Jesus came fulfilling the holy law for men. When he suffered, he died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. The serpent indeed bruised the heel of Jesus. And by fulfilling the demands of the law, Amen, Jesus freed us from the cruel bondage of sin and he bruised the head of Satan through his atoning love. Through his shed blood of Calvary, through his fellowship, he restored man to God's favor again. And wonderful things can happen in the heart of mankind. Amen. You see, man was lost because of the disobedience of one, but he regained his stature by the obedience of one man. But sin reigned, and it spreads. Once sin starts, it spreads. I wish we could get that inside. It'll spread. Thanks. You let sin come into a family and it'll spread through that whole family if we're not careful. You let sin come into a church and it'll spread through that whole church. You let sin come into a nation and it'll spread through that whole nation. You let sin come in to our county governments and it'll spread through it all. You let sin come into our schoolhouses and it'll spread through it all. 
So it spread. You see, there was a, I don't know how you would call it, maybe a dam of some type of God's law that kept back disobedience. And after that dam broke, the whole flood tide and flood of sin and everything else, one followed another. An ever-widening gap, so to speak, that held back all the manner of evil that was there. And all of that was gone. You see, man desired only to sin. And this inclination, this desire, passed from generation to generation. That's why God calls for good Christian life and families. That's why God calls for steadiness inside. That's why God calls for discipline of mom and dad. Because if you don't get it, you raise a generation and it's worse than the one that was before it. And that generation will be worse than the one that's before it. We're experiencing that. Yes. Yes. We're experiencing a world that has no conscience. I heard somebody say this past week, an educated individual said the reason that there is so much murder and stuff going on today is because the generation that's doing it has no conscience. The first thing they said, and they were supposed to know, that when you get on crack or dope or something like that, it burns out that part of the brain that calls right, wrong, right, and wrong, wrong. And so they can kill somebody and never feel a bit of remorse because that part had been destroyed. In their life. You might think about that. And you might think about what is out here in this world facing your children. Amen. You see, you can follow this in Adam and Eve, and that's why we a real good review of Genesis. It was revealed in the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain envied his brother, Abel. Just for, uh, because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and he just told Cain, now straighten up, do the right thing and yours will be accepted. Give it the right way. Give me the right thing. But instead of listening to what God had to say, uh, Cain looked at Abel and said, his was accepted. He's God's pet. I'll destroy him. So instead of seeking the cause of God's disfavor, see, there again, it's good lesson for us. Find out if there's a reason for God's disfavor. Cain permitted envy to enter into his heart, developed a hatred, culminated in murder, even in spite of God's warning in Genesis 4, 1, 15. Read that. And other sins followed. God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The lamb had broken. The dam that held it back was gone. There wasn't anything at all there to help in any way. And mankind was running rampant and sin was there. And God says, I'm going to have to do something with this. So he tries to turn man from his evil ways. He granted man 120 years to repent. Finally it became evident 
that the only way to destroy wickedness was to destroy man and make a new beginning. So God decided, of course you know this, on a great flood to destroy wicked mankind. But there remained one man, Noah. And his family found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now listen to this. God promised to save Noah and to save his family by means of an ark which he directed him to build. In other words, we're going to find out, Noah, whether you really believe or not. I'm going to give you a job to do. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to place it in a way where it's going to look senseless to you. I'm going to ask you to build an ark. I'm going to cause it to rain that never rained before. And I'm going to ask you to preach righteousness to those that are mocking you and laughing at you. I'm going to ask you to do that until I tell you it's enough. And so Noah showed his faith in God by going about doing what God said. Here you see again God's attributes of love and holiness and consent. It was not God's will then and it is not now for any to perish. But sin cannot enter in. Noah had a relationship with God, and we're going to quit in just a moment. When the waters have subsided, God told Noah to leave the ark. And the first thing that Noah did, after setting foot on the ground, was build an altar of stone, and he presented a thank offering to God for his deliverance. Of course, God promised he wouldn't destroy the earth again like that, and he placed the rainbow, of course, in the sky. But he commanded Noah to repopulate the earth and to cultivate it. But still, regardless of what happens, (coughs) sin reappeared after the flood. Raised its ugly head again. Have an example of that. The growth of sin after the flood in the building of the Tower of Babel. Now what does that say? This was a product of man's self-glory. And therefore it was a sin of the first commandment of God. The builder said, come let us build, let us build ourselves a city. And a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Omitting God from everything that they ever did. But God was still in charge. He took care of all that, of course, by changing their language. But in spite of it all, heathenism developed. But to the far corners of the earth, mankind took a great treasure of memories. A knowledge of God's creation. A relationship With God the Creator, the fall of man being expelled from paradise, the great flood, and Noah's deliverance. But as time went on, man drifted farther and farther away from the worship of the one true God. Farther after him, he started worshiping the sun. 
started worshiping the moon and the stars and other created things, put them on the level with God or in the place of the Creator. Romans talks about that. And over the course of a lot of centuries, God become unknown to them. Acts 17.23 tells you about that. But God has a remedy for that. Now in the next lesson we'll talk about God's call of the patriarchs, call of Israel and all what that means, what it still means. Yes. But let's remember one thing. You don't get anything else out of these lessons. God's laws, what God says, He means to be obeyed. And sin always brings consequences. It always will. Will you stand? We are coming up on our fifth anniversary service. And I would like, if you have a problem with this, let me know after service. I would like for Bill and Peg to be in charge of setting up the tables and clean up afterwards but enlist some help to do this don't do it by yourself i'd like for sissy and beulah to be in charge of the kitchen putting out silverware things like that napkins and also with the servings and you enlist some help in that i also like for robert and ed to eat first with the guest so that they can watch the children i don't want the children to eat first they eat they get out and the adults are still eating. And here is two incidents that happened. I was embarrassed. Someone hit Brother Byer's car with a rock. And Sister Burton got hit by a door as a child run in. Adults were eating. Children had already eaten first. And they were out doing their thing. I don't want that to happen. So I want Robert and Ed to eat with the guests first. I want them to eat first. I want them to eat with them then I want them to corral. I want you to be policemen. I mean, kids can be kids. That's fine. But we have adults and we have people and we don't need them busting in the doors and we don't need them throwing rocks. Okay? It's an embarrassment. It ought not to be. Okay? So if you have any problem with that, or you can <coughs> pardon me, and you can't, or if you can't do that, please let me know. But if I don't hear from you, I will expect you to do it. Okay? All right, we still do not have an evangelist. So maybe we're not ready for revival. We have tried, we've got suggestions, we have tried those suggestions. Some of them uh, at the time can't, can't do. And so you need to pray much. And if you've got any suggestions... In any way, we'll do our best to follow them up as to what we ought to do. Amen. If we're not ready, if revival's not ready to come, or we're not ready for it, then we don't want it. But if there's the devil trying to hinder us, then we want to put a put a whammy on him. Okay? So pray much for that. Is anyone tonight that needs prayer before we dismiss? If not, let's remember our service Sunday morning, our Sunday school. Those that are not here, please talk to them. Uh, you can't make people serve God, but maybe you can talk to them and let them know that we care about them. Okay?
Any other announcements? Anytime. continue her prayer service. How many want to come up? All right, let's, let's go through at least uh, after our uh, homecoming, our fifth anniversary. Brother Gary Gossett will be here from Hopkinsville, good young man. He'll be ministering for us. We have got some singers we think is going to be able to come we're going to have a good time, but we'd like to have just more than just a fifth anniversary service. We'd like for something to happen in our midst. So tomorrow then, on Thursday, at least for the next couple of Thursdays, why, let's come and meet here. You come anytime that you can and meet here for prayer. God bless you. Turn around and shake hands with the